0: We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth.
1: The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So to be you. you know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing in? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We are sex One, two, three,
2: four! Craft Services. Hello, Trent. Anyone there? Ah, yes, I forgot. This is a solo intro recording. Trent Elgare is currently in England doing a summer semester for a creative writing course, I believe. Trent, if you're listening, correct me and tell the listeners. But uh, since we don't have him, you're just going to have me telling you what I had to eat most recently. As you may know, um, we are graduating. As or I am, and friend of the show, Sophia Alexis is graduating, and she had a grad party, and so I had some strawberry shortcake cake, um, as well as freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, um, which were at her party. And let me just say, they tasted good. And what also tastes really good is this episode. So, folks, I want to just cue right into the intro. back to craft services where we talk about the movies each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture this week we are talking with steven morrow sound mixer for our film today babylon damien chazelle's newest film that came out last year which spoiler alert trent and i really liked Um, So yeah, uh, Steven was the sound mixer on this movie. He was super cool. Talked about some really interesting things that happened on set that I didn't know about. Um, So yeah, since I don't have Trent here to uh, delay this any longer, I'm just going to cue the intro. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Stephen Morrow. He's the sound mixer behind such films as Little Miss Sunshine, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Ford v. Ferrari, and our film for today, Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. So just to start off, um, what would you say your relationship with film was at a young age?
0: I think, you know, I, I think like many people who are, you know, intensely in love with cinema. I, I started at a young age. My, my, you know, dad, we would always have uh, movie nights, you know, when, um, when we were together, we'd watch movies and, and, uh, yeah, I think at, at honestly at eight years old, uh, well, here's the short version. My parents got divorced when I was four. They both got remarried and my stepdad got a job from Pittsburgh to Los Angeles. So we moved to Los Angeles when I was eight. And we lived in Woodland Hills, and Woodland Hills is kind of the West Valley and the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. And they would make uh, TV shows and movies across the street uh, all the time. You know, you could just see the trucks pull up and people get out. And and uh, I think as, as like, you know, eight years old, I thought that was it for me. Like, that's what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. I think I want to be a director. But I, I just want part of that, um, part of that business. So that's where I... I think that's where I initially just started. Then we moved to Seattle, Washington when I was 11. And at 16, I I took a course at Bellevue Community College, which was like a summer camp kind of thing where it was like, you know, filmmakers uh, camp where you would make movies. And, you know, there'd be a group of writers, a group of, you know, every, every group, you know, it'd all get broken up and we'd just make a movie. And, and uh, you know, that's when it solidified it for me. I was like, yep, this is it. This is what I want to do
1: and so past that when did you find yourself particularly interested in the sound world
0: right so you know in in those community college in bellevue it was like it was difficult to it was easy to shoot a movie but it was difficult to get good sound and for me i took i took i decided well let me let me figure out how to get the the Short films that I'm making sound better. Otherwise, you know, they're kind of hard to watch and they're not that great uh, if you can't understand anybody. So I started taking a sound class, and I decided, wow, I kind of like this. You know, I I'm I'm good at it. Like I can I can boom people. I can you know record the sound. It'll sound good. Um, and then one of the professors at the community college basically was encouraged everybody to try to get a job on a local movie and call the Washington State Film Hotline. So I called it, and it was. Craft service, script supervisor, or boom operator. And I thought, well, I think I think craft service is food. Don't know that I want to do that. Script supervisor, not a clue. That's somebody who hands out the script every day? I don't know what they do. Okay. Uh, but boom operator, I've been doing sound for other people's projects, and, and I think I can do that, you know. So I harassed them for weeks on end to, to hire me for free and, you know, just give me the chance. And, and uh, that was my first, you know, on-set, uh, sound experience. And from that point forward, you know, the producer of that film would produce a short film or produce an indie or, you know, something in Seattle where they would hire me as the boom person. And, you know, up in Seattle, it was a great hobby. It wasn't a career. You couldn't, you just, you didn't make any money at it. You know, it was more or less, you were just doing it for the love of the art. So I ended up, um, you know, doing a few projects up there enough where I went, okay, I, I need to save some money, moved it back to Los Angeles and do it full-time, but in the interim, I was doing as many boom jobs as I could, and then I would show up, and the mixer wouldn't show up. So then the producer would look at me and say, do you know how to run the gear? And I'd say, oh, yeah, of course, absolutely, and I had no idea how to run the gear. But I had a few hours to figure it out, and so I'd figure it out, and, uh, you know, run the gear enough where I started getting comfortable with it and thought, well, if this is what it is, just showing up, um, I'm going to, you know... I'm going to put my resume in for, for mixing gigs instead of boom, boom gigs where I'm thrown into the fire every time. Um, uh, and so I started getting mixing work and that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to move to LA and do this full time.
1: Were you 16? I uh, like throughout all of that or so it just, was, uh, just at the start?
0: Yeah. Did so we, when because... I, yeah, sorry about that. So yeah, when, when I first took that summer course, I was 16 and I, I, Basically, it was like that's it for me. So I left. I left high school, got GED, which is the the mm-hmm. you know equivalency. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, took community cl- college classes for the next uh, year and a half. And it was it was when I got on set for the first day. You know, the the professor convinced us all to try to get a job. So I I got the job, and I realized. I don't know what an Apple box is. I don't know what a C stand is. I don't know what any of this equipment is. And I've been going to this college for a year and a half learning film. How do I not know the basic wooden box that's called the Apple box? So that's when I said, okay, that's, this is my last semester in in college. I'm out. You know, the only way to learn this is by doing it. You know, they're not teaching you how to do sound on set. They're teaching you how to do sound in a studio and control environment music. It's different, like different aspects of it are different, but, um, yeah, so when I turned 18, that's when I said, okay, I'm out. I'm moving to LA.
2: Awesome. So sort of jumping ahead to the main film of the day, Babylon, um, I believe your working relationship with Damien Chazelle started on La La Land. Um, and if you could sort of talk about meeting him for the first time and working on La La Land, which is obviously, you know, kind of a seminal movie.
0: Yeah, so I, I, <clears throat> there's a producer named Michael Bug who him and I have worked together Um, a bunch little miss sunshine thank you for smoking uh, up in the air i mean there's a bunch of movies that him and i have done together and um and he said hey look i'm i'm you know there's this musical uh that we're doing with damien giselle he's the guy that did uh whiplash and the backstory to whiplash is that it was produced by uh helen estabrook and and jason reitman who found them at a film festival and said, Oh, you should make this you know, movie. And they kind of produced it and It was a super low budget thing. And I have worked with those, that group of people. Um, and I think at the time we were doing, um, uh, Labor Day with Jason Reitman in, in, uh, Massachusetts. So they, they did, they did whiplash. And, um, and so I kind of already knew Damien knew who he was, uh, before, you know, obviously whiplash came out, but, um, uh, so Michael said, "Yeah, hey, I want you to interview for this movie and see how it goes." And so I went and interviewed and we talked about La La Land and how we would, you know, record some of it live, some of the playback, you know, what what we can and can't do and you know what his understanding was or or what his understanding wasn't. So that was what, you know, sparked our you know, our our relationship was that interview. The movie got pushed because originally it was uh, a different cast. It was Miles Teller and uh, Emma Emma Watson. Uh, both of them were busy, and so we had to push the movie. And then, long enough went by where they went, well, okay, it'll be it'll be Emma Stone and Ryan um, Gosselin. So, uh, and then we we did the movie. Um, yeah, and then he did um, at the same time he was doing uh, what was the First Man. Oh yeah, when he was doing First Man in Atlanta, I was doing a movie with Jason Reitman called. um... Oh, it's the Hugh Jackman movie. Why can't I remember it? That's terrible, isn't it? The front runner, (laughs) the front runner. Yeah, while he was doing uh, First Man in Atlanta, I was doing Front Runner with Jason Reitman in Atlanta as well. Um, So they went uh, with a a different sound person for Front uh, First Man. Uh, and then when Babylon came back around, uh, or not back around, but when Babylon came up, it was uh, you know they they wanted me to do that. We were shooting it in L.A. And it was the same uh, Michael Bug producing. Um, so yeah, so we you know that was an easy that was an easy hire, easy gig to take, and so yeah, let's do that.
1: So we'll get more into the specifics of this, but just how music oriented Damien Chazelle's movies tend to be. Does that make your job any different, or easier, or harder?
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's incredibly more involved when you have a movie about music. You know, in general, uh, because then sound is no longer just recording the the dialogue of the movie, which is already difficult. It's it's a matter of recording uh, dialogue and making sure the music is right, and making sure that you're protecting the dialogue, that you're protecting the music, that you're protecting the vocals. So it it becomes a whole, you know. Um, much it, it just becomes a much bigger um, undertaking if that makes any sense
2: right yeah i mean just to sort of go into that a little bit more i think in a few interviews with some of the actors i heard that for a lot of the scenes there would actually be the music playing on set um while they were actually performing and i was wondering like how that affects your ability you know to record clean sound and you know what if there was a different process attached to that or you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, anytime you have music on set, the question is, is there dialogue during this performance? And if the answer is yes, then what you use is an earpiece. You know, it's a little, you know, it looks like a hearing aid. You stick it in everybody's ear. They hear the music playing, but, you know, if you if you don't have an earpiece or a head, headset on, you don't hear any music, um, and then you can record the dialogue clean. Um, mm. But this is, you know, the trick of that is you have to, you know, you're constantly reminding the the, you know the the actors and the director. Hey, just remember how loud this scene is going to be in the theater. You know, like these right. guys should not be talking at a normal level. This is a huge party that's ruckus, and if you want it to sound that way, you have to have them. You know, really speak up and and talk loud as though that sound is actually happening in this moment. So, yeah, we give everybody earpieces. Uh, a good example of that is the the battle scene in in Babylon, the the opening of the movie where you have. You know, a thousand people coming together on the, that dirt battlefield, and in the corner you have a full orchestra playing. So normally, you know, the easy way out is just to get out a couple speakers, blast the orchestra so they can play along to the pre-recorded uh, music, and then you just record what you record. And it's basically, you know, in post they'll kind of just wipe out everything you recorded on on set because it's overlapped with all this music. So what we decided to do instead, which was more difficult but worth it, is we gave everybody in the orchestra this earpiece. Everybody had it, and that way the orchestra could hear the music, play along to it. But we could record the the effects and the sound of these thousand people running in a field uh, live. So there wasn't that that bleed over in music, and then you could use it all. Because um, uh, you know it's difficult for post production to get you know a thousand people running in a field for their library, and then what they'll end up doing is get 10 people running in a field and then do it, uh, you know, uh, you know, 100 times, and then there's your 1,000 people. And that's difficult. You know, that's difficult to make it sound real. So we, we really wanted that opportunity to get that good um, authentic sound, and then uh, since we were doing it that way, Paramount sent out a couple guys to record sound effects at the same time, post-production guys that would come out and record them running through the field and all the other things you know, at the same time, so it was, it was you know, like a team effort in that sense.
1: Uh, I, I, you may have just touched on this a little bit, but when you're doing a big group scene, you know, with a thousand people, and you need to make it sound, like, full, and obviously not just get the, like, uh, one mic on the two main characters, do you have, like, five boom poles running, like, s- spread out at strategic locations, or are you... Are, are, are people after the fact like artificially making the rest of the room feel real?
0: yeah so a lot of the time what we'll do I mean basically when you have these big sound effects scenes, you don't want to just have one mic you know because sound effects come out of every every speaker except for the center channel right Center channel is basically the dialogue channel that's what we're we're responsible for but in these moments when you can have really good uh, sound effects, you want you know minimum of two microphones maximum of as many as you can put out there um but you know these scenes are still large huge nobody's gonna wait for sound you know we want to give earwigs to 35 orchestra members uh we want to you know set up everything so there's still limited time you're still under pressure so you you get two booms out there uh we try to do a couple plant mics like deep in the field uh, we carry with us a, a 5.1 surround mic. We also carry a quadraphonic mic, uh, which is, you know, Dolby Atmos, um, encoded mic. And then, um, but you know, it's one of those things that's, that's the, not the last thing we put out, but we prioritize the job first, getting the dialogue, getting all the, the, the sounds that we can. And then once you have extra time, like if you're sitting there waiting for a lighting or a camera that you go, okay, let's grab this mic, put it out there. So that's kind of how it works. You just do as much as you, you know, you do the, you you make sure you're covered first and then you, and then you uh, put out everything else. There, There's ways, like if you look at um, A Star Is Born, we recorded that. So all the vocals are live, but all the music was recorded in a recording studio. And to make the recording studio sound live, what we did is a impulse response. Uh, at every venue. So if you remember like, you know, maybe an old stereo or your current stereo that has like different, you know, a big hall, small hall, church, you know, different EQ effects that make the echo different. We were, the way that you get that is you put out this loud pulse and with multiple microphones, you're recording it and it and with software, it calculates how big that space is and what the echo is and what it should sound like. And so we did that at every venue for *A Star Is Born*, so that when you would, in post-production, play back the studio recording, you would put it through that filter and make it sound as though it was this big, you know, venue. right? Yeah.
2: And uh, just speaking, sort of, I guess, on the form of the movie, the there's a lot of like oneers um, and like 360, um, sort of setups, um, and I'm wondering. How tough that makes it for you as the sound mixer to sort of have to coordinate that, I guess, or if it doesn't really affect it as much as I think it? Yeah, might.
0: no, I mean it's you know when you when you have these big one shot uh, one shot scenes, it, yeah, everybody everybody's affected, you know, lighting's affected, cameras affected where you can put equipment. Um, for the Wallach party, you know, half of that room is a mirror you know, if you, if you look at it and it's actually a lobby of a hotel in downtown LA, it's the ACE, ACE hotel, um, lobby. And it's one of those things where you, um, everything's affected. So we were up on the second floor of that party and we would have speakers, you know, we would play speakers in different places, uh, because you have a voice of God, which is, you know, the director can get on a microphone and talk to the talk to the set and we would also try to play music in between setups so that the crowd wouldn't get too bored because you know you're doing this party for a week but it has to feel like it's you know 20 minutes of the party um so yeah it's it makes it more difficult uh because you know certain things that you would easily be able to boom you can't you know because they'll they'll whip the camera or spin it around um so you know you rely on the technology that you have available to just make these things happen but but yeah, it, it, you know, sometimes you have to do, you know, you have to use a repeater for the earpieces if they're going to go down the hall and around the corner, you know, there's a certain things that you do for your, for each shot, each shot. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, our last sound interview was with the sound mixer of Magnolia. And he said the hardest scene on that was an old man speaking faintly in bed and it was raining a lot and he was like moving around. And so, do you have a scene that comes to mind in Babylon that you, that was particularly difficult or that you're particularly proud of after the fact?
0: Let's see. I mean, it's, it's interesting because there's, you know, in every, every scene, in in every, in, in every movie you do, there is a particular scene you just like, you know, you love doing or, or it was like, oh, this was horrendously awful and, Um, we had this, we, we did have a shot in the, in the movie where it was, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember how it ended up in the movie. It was a giant water that we went from one stage, you know, and he's looking at the bank vault, shoots a gun, you know, and I think he's, and then he ends up in the, the other stage where he has to go and tell, um, oh, what's his character's name? Oh, it's terrible. He has to tell him that he's too, too light and he has to darken his skin. This Uh, is, um, so this scene started outside of one stage at Paramount in Hollywood, went through the stage, back out the back door, down a hallway, back into the next stage and wrapped around. And at that point there's, you know, musicians playing on, on, on stage. Um, the hard part with that are, you know, sound stages are made to trap RF they're, they're made so that when the doors are closed, nothing escapes and nothing comes in. So you have a good, clean signal. There's a giant Faraday cage. And so when you do from one set to another set to another set, it, it becomes like just a very hard, difficult um, range issue with radio mics. You know, radio mics are tiny low power you know they don't have much range and so to do a shot that's you know longer than a football field through sound stages that's where it becomes like a technical challenge and where you're just pulling your hair out trying to figure out what the best way to do it is um so that scene came through and then i think when you watch it in the movie it's cut up and then you just go oh it's not a wonder, you know because like the winner is the challenge um uh so that was a, that was a, probably the most challenging scene for us on that movie Uh, Just on the technical side, because you had, you know, you had to be somewhere close to the stage where the the musicians are playing. So you could have the music cued at the right moment. Um, But yeah, that was, that was one of those.
2: What an interview. And this is just part one if um, you couldn't see from the title of the episode that you clicked on. So everybody, make sure to come next week um, for part two. We go into some more scenes, talk about some other movies he's worked on. It's a good time. And where you can find that episode, along with this episode you're currently listening to, and all of our other episodes are on any podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pandora. We're on everything. And make sure to follow us on our socials, Instagram and Twitter, and uh, leave us a good review on whichever podcasting platform you decide to. Uh, Sorry, this is such a short intro, guys, but um, it's really awkward having to do this with nobody there to talk with. Next week, it'll probably also be me, but maybe I'll have a special guest to talk with me. And hopefully that intro will be way less awkward. Thanks, guys. See you next week.